everybody, welcome to the August 21st, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the group that put a controversial anti-fracking measure on the 2014 ballot. The Colorado Community Rights Network announced this week that they intend to place the same measure on the 2016 ballot. Penny Calhoun from Westward, this was one of the main measures that John Hickenlooper crafted the, the big deal with Jared Polis and everything else to get all these different fracking measures. This was one of the, the main anti-fracking ones. It looks like uh, whether, whether or not he wants to, Governor Hickenlooper might have some more dealing to do next year. What do you think? Well, we all knew in 2014 it was only a short-term solution, that deal. So it's not surprising that it's coming back. People are as concerned about fracking as they've ever been and not feeling all that kindly towards oil and gas right now. Even though it's an unrelated development, just the visuals from the Animas are definitely making people a little more environmentally conscious. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, do you think there's going to be another deal? Is this going to keep kind of becoming that sort of thing where it pushes everyone to the table? Or at some point, do you think some folks are going to have to just let it get to the ballot and see what happens? I think my, my guess is that the, the, the big money on the left, which is what something would need to succeed, is going to say enough is enough with this stuff. You're, you're screwing around. Our governor's pro-fracking. He's, he's a very pro-environmental guy as, as well. Uh, this fracking obsession that some people have, I think, is increasingly seen by the public in Colorado as like, as like anti-fluoridation was in the late 1950s and early 60s. When you first hear about it, you know, oh, oh, this is interesting. You know, yeah, they are putting chemicals in our drinking water. But then you find out it's actually not a communist plot. It doesn't cause all these terrible problems that people talk about. And we have community experience with it existing for a long time. This isn't an anti-fracking amendment, by the way. It's, it's immensely broader and takes and says basically corporations don't have any rights against local control. So here's how that would play out. The tattered cover refused to turn over to local government, the North Metro Drug, T Drug Task Force, its records on a book which a customer had bought. The case went to the Colorado Supreme Court. The Colorado Supreme Court said, no, this violates the tattered cover's free speech rights, freedom of the press. The tattered cover is a corporation. If this anti-corporate rights amendment passed, then our local communities in the form of the North Metro Drug, Ta Drug Task Force can violate the First Amendment rights of any group of people who, like a bookstore or lots of others, organize themselves in the form of corporation. Eric Sonman, political analyst, uh, uh, David brings up the point that this, this was one of those anti-fracking measures that went beyond fracking. And probably, when you could talk to the Chamber of Commerce folks, it was the most dangerous because uh, of that. Do you think that is going to um, create more of a response now that we know it's coming? We'll see if it's coming. As David points out, we'll see if the money shows up behind it, as was the case a few years ago. We all knew a couple years ago that the Hickenlooper compromise was a kick-the-can-down-the-road compromise. Well, now here we are down the road, and you knew this issue was going to come back in some form. I think there's a school of thought that if this is the only ballot issue, a few years ago, remember, there was a whole package of proposals. If this is the only one, 
this one's going to be a hard one to swallow for a whole lot of voters, regardless of what their views are on the particulars uh, of fracking. The other factor is oil is now at what, 40, barely much more than $40 a barrel. There is not the intensity around this issue that there was when oil was $100 a barrel and fracking is going gangbusters. It is not quite as hot right now as it was a couple of, uh, a couple of years ago. At some point in time, I don't, I'm not sure I'm convinced it's 2016, at some point in time this issue is going to hit the ballot. Every big issue in the state ultimately finds its way onto the ballot question to me is when and what is the particulars of the proposal. You make a good point, Eric. I mean, OPEC's done more about fracking in Colorado than any, any, any ballot measure. Uh, ben Gill, political consultant, wrap it up for us. Well, you know, it's interesting to see it come back. Everyone's covered the fact that this was part of a compromise that happened a couple years ago. I think that, as others have pointed out, this coalition is not the coalition that has the sort of money behind it. I don't anticipate that the sort of mainstream or central people in the party on the left will really get behind it because I think it's too broad, it's too much. I think that the state of Colorado has clearly shown with other initiatives that are sort of vague and broad reaching that we don't accept them. So unless it was to really curtail government power or something totally different, um, I just don't see it happening. Although I do agree with Eric's uh, point that it will ultimately get to the ballot because we do have a state that really allows for that to happen. More than a week after the Animas River was contaminated by the EPA, attorneys general from surrounding states are still deciding whether to file a suit. Colorado and Utah's AGs, Cynthia Kaufman and Sean Reyes, claim there are unanswered questions and EPA officials are withholding key information. Patty, the, the pictures look better, but there's still questions about the sediment on the river. There's even other lawsuits that we know are coming from the Navajo Nation, which have been affected a little bit further downstream. Uh, do you think Colorado is eventually going to be getting in line about this uh, when it comes to filing a lawsuit? Well, I think it depends on if the EPA and the feds come up with a way to make some of the people who've suffered whole. I mean, we certainly know that the tourism industry in south of Silverton um, has take, took a big hit from this. Silverton itself took a hit from this, and Silverton is very concerned that they'll take an even bigger hit if sudden moves to get it on the Superfund list come along. The photos from the Navajo Nation and the reports there are really tragic because these people are already living on the edge. You're not talking about making a rafting company whole. You're talking about a tribe that has suffered for generations. So it's not, those lawsuits aren't going to surprise me. They clearly will sue. Whether or not the AGs sue I think will depend a lot on how the EPA b behaves now and also how our senators behave. I mean, they are now looking at pushing some of the legislation that was proposed 10 years ago back when people wanted to clean up these mines. They were willing to help clean up the mines as long as they were held harmless if there was a problem. The, the so-called Good Samaritan Law, we did a big story back in 2005 on one of them who now is wound up left holding the bag on a mine that wound up back in his control. So. Uh, there are a lot of different moving parts in there, and unfortunately, the moving parts have a lot of moving water still. That's very true. David, I realize that uh, even a, a large state like Colorado can't uh, decide quickly if they're going to sue the federal government. It's, it's, a, it's a major endeavor, so I don't expect it to be a knee-jerk reaction, but what kind of timeline do you think is realistic for us to know if Colorado is going to pull a trigger on something like this realistically? Maybe a, a few weeks. I, I think Attorney General Kaufman is conservative in the in a stylistic sense. Uh, she's she's not one of those people who typically runs into court to announce a suit that uh, you know 
turns out not to have much basis, but he had a good press conference. I think she'll be very cautious and will go forward only if, after careful analysis, her attorneys determine there's a really strong case. Patty mentioned the Good Samaritan laws, and when all the, there's all this talk about bipartisan, common sense things, that's the epitome of it. The, the current Good Samaritan bill in Congress is sponsored by our Democratic Senator Bennett, Republican U.S. Representative Tipton, both of Tipton's predecessors, Democrat Salazar and Republican uh, McGinnis, sponsored the same thing, and it keeps getting blocked in Congress, in part because the Environmental Pollution Agency has less of an interest in cleaning up the environment than it does in long-term projects such as Superfund, which, and I've worked with EPA Superfund personnel, and they're very conscientious, good people, but, and who care about the environment and want to fix things. But the institutional EPA uh, is more interested in long-term things that take forever to get done and therefore give EPA more bureaucratic reason to exist and expand. We have a strong proposal to fix it, and it ought to be quickly adopted. And by the way, the EPA, in terms of being forthcoming, Colorado Peak Politics looked at the report they gave to the National Spill Reporting Center, uh, which turned out to be largely false. Who caused the spill? Don't know, says the EPA. Oh, that, that, that's sure a big question for us. No idea. Uh, how much was discharged into the water? Zero. And Governor Martinez, of, of, they said they were going to notify state, local officials, county officials, law enforcement. Governor Martinez didn't find out about this from the EPA. She found out about it because one of the Indian tribes in Mexi New Mexico came to her and told her about it. So I would say the EPA is about the last organization you would turn to to fix this problem. Sounds like family circuses, not me, is it filling up the EPA forms for him. Uh, Eric, politically, is this going to become an issue in Colorado? I mean, nationally, it's kind of hard to say that it would actually have that much, that uh, strong of legs to last that long. But those pictures and the impact it's had in Colorado might. What, do you think this lasts the next year for other politicians to make hay out of? I think some of the secondary issues or the issues still to develop can become political footballs. I don't think the spill itself. I mean, Hickenlooper quickly, I mean, Hickenlooper's a guy who 95 times out of 100 is going to sing off the Democratic Party sheet music and, and, and punch uh, the Obama administration's ticket. But he was pretty quick and pretty harsh in his treatment of the EPA, and he was right uh, both politically and on, on its merits uh, to do exactly that. I, I'm taken by the complete juxtaposition between the EPA as an actor or the, the, the you know the, the originator the the, the, the culprit uh, in, in in this whole thing not that they didn't have good reason to be there but they were incredibly cavalier and careless about how they did it but the juxtaposition between them in that role versus them in a monitoring role or in a cleanup role or in a regulatory role and what David points out and other people have pointed out that would never in a, for a minute fly if they were in any of those other roles, but now you see something about a culture of an organization when they're under the gun like this, and I'm not sure what we're seeing is all that particularly uh, attractive. Um, the, ultimately, it's not just the issue of this particular mine or even this particular river. Ultimately, as has been pointed out by Patty and David, we got to come to grips with what to do with all these old mine sites in the state. Ben, to Eric's point, does the EPA lose some credibility here that could possibly be taken advantage of by 
future spills or problems. I mean, hey, if EPA isn't going to take care of their own business so well, really what's their uh, credibility there uh, to back up another corporation to clean up a future mess? Do you think there's some future problems for them here? Well, I think that uh, there's plenty of people in the energy industry that were perfectly happy to turn the EPA into a punching bag over this. And I think that there's plenty of blame to go around, and certainly the EPA should. And I, I think from what I'm reading in trade publications and in just in the normal press, they are taking some of the responsibility. I think it's important to remember that they weren't operating in a vacuum. They also weren't operating that mine. So they were coming into a situation that existed with or without them, and they were there to try to help. Part of what I understand about the work order was that they knew going in that it was a critical situation that was potentially going to be explosive. I don't think that they anticipated what they saw. And again, my understanding of what happened is that they simply made a miscalculation on the amount of pressure that there was in the water in the mines. And I think it's human error, which we're certainly all subject to. To answer your question, yeah, I think it's going to uh, harm their credibility, but I think that the groups that are going to be really dealing with them are always willing and on the lookout for opportunities to harm that credibility anyway. So I think on the macro level, it will have no effect on their ability to deal with these issues as they crop up. The Denver City Council Business Development Committee halted a potential seven-year deal with a DIA Chick-fil-A franchise. This comes after some Denver City Council members voiced their concerns over the chain's executives' stance on gay rights. Uh, Dave, this is uh, not a, we haven't had the official, uh, you know, the contract hasn't been officially stopped. It's going to go to the next level of the city council. Uh, so I don't know if we're just hearing some comments for public fodder or if the council really wants to get into this fight. What do you think? The council should make sure to appropriate some money for uh, legal expenses and the high, uh, a significant possibility of losing. The Supreme Court has ruled on a closely related issue in the 1996 case by Justice O'Connor, Board of County Commissioners, Wabaunsi County, Kansas versus Umber, where there was a solid waste disposal contractor and the county didn't decide they didn't county commissioners didn't like them because the contractor had exercising its free speech rights, criticized some of the county commissioners, and so they nixed the contract, and the Supreme Court said, no, actually, independent government contractors have the same free speech rights as government employees do. Uh, now, that was for something that was an existing contract. Chick-fil-A is not an existing contract, at least at the airport, so maybe that's distinguishable, but that's a that is the Denver City Council's only possible slender defense uh, for its actions. And I also think even if there were no constitutional rule, it's terrible policy. Suppose the El Paso County Commissioners are soliciting bids uh, for beer at the county fair, and New Belgium comes in and says, we've got great beer, and we're also going to supply it at the best price, better than any other contractor. Does that mean you nix the contract because the county commissioners disapprove of New Belgium's political activities, which I do too, uh, but that doesn't mean you should uh, deprive the, the taxpayers, the consumers of the company that will supply the best product at the best price. Eric, yeah, the, the political way to look at this is saying, you know, of course, you know, Denver would be um, uh, pro-same-sex marriage. The polls have shown that, and that, that's already kind of the law of the land. But then you look at the legal part of it, and again, First Amendment rights are, are, are pretty clear. Uh, where do you think the council ultimately ends up on this? 
I don't know if they're going to dig their heels in and, and, and pursue this because they have a few constituencies, constituencies out there cheering them along or if common sense is going to prevail. I'm hopeful that somebody at this table is going to defend the council and articulate that viewpoint just so we can have a real robust discussion. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that person will not be me. Uh, it ought to be possible in this day and age to hold a couple of values in your head and at, at the same time. One is that this country needs to and all of a sudden over the last decade or more is on a fast track to do right in terms of gay rights, the gay marriage ruling, to fully recognize these people as full citizens just like anyone sitting around this table. And at the same time you have that value system to be able to respect people of a different view and let them have that different viewpoint and whether that viewpoint is grounded in religion or in something else. If Chick-fil-A, if there was any allegation in the world that Chick-fil-A was discriminating against gay and lesbian customers, then that is a wholly different conversation to have and uh, for Councilwoman Kanish or Councilman Lopez or others to engage in. There's been no credible allegation, and nor would there be. Chick-fil-A is, is, is a good company, provides you know, good service uh, of, uh, of the product they're rendering. Uh, this is all about freedom of speech. This is all about religious freedom. And as I said, there ought to be room in this country to respect those values. At the same time, you believe strongly, as I do, in gay rights. Ben, we already saw a little bit of backing down on Thursday from the comments we heard on Wednesday about this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'll pose to you the same question, especially because of your experience with Denver City Politics. You were involved in a lot of the different city council elections uh, this year. Where do you think they will ultimately go on this? I think that uh, they'll ultimately approve the contract and that we'll see a Chick-fil-A concession at the airport. And there's no question this is a First Amendment issue. I think that there's some political calculus going on from some of the members of council who are doing this. And I think you've seen that they grabbed their initial headline and they're clearly already backpedaling pretty quickly. And we're talking about Chick-fil-A as if there's a national imprimatur on this, on this franchise. It is a local small businessman who's actually starting his first enterprise on his own. He's been an operator in the concession space for years and years working with his father. I spoke with the gentleman last night. And it's just totally preposterous for the city to do something like this and it hurt an entrepreneur, hurt you know, the entrepreneurial spirit in the city, and also be counterproductive to the airport's mission, which is to extract the most value possible from these concessions to help offset our fares so that we can continue to enjoy nice fares and fly around the world at reasonable prices. This is really just totally backwards in my view, and I think the council will quickly correct the action and approve the contract, as it should be, because these contracts don't really get to the stage where it is without being totally vetted and basically in line to be approved. So I think that they will approve it. Pat, you're the last chance to defend the council. It rests entirely on your shoulders. Okay. It's your choice. <laughs> I'll defend them on one very tiny, tiny slice, which is the problem, the only, the problem with Chick-fil-A at the airport is they don't stay open on Sunday. And I think, <laughs> why have concessions for the travelers coming in and out on, on one of the busiest days that's closed? I mean, if you have Larimer Square, as the landlord, you can say you must be open for lunch. They do that to restaurants there. There's no reason they can't say to concessions coming into the airport, you have to be open on Sunday, one of the busiest travel days of the week. 
Uh, that's the first thing. But if the city council is really going to start looking at concessions, can we please make sure that the stores that say made in Colorado actually sell sure. things made in Colorado instead of T-shirts made in Haiti? Can we actually start pushing for real local, not just local businessmen, but local ideas and local concepts? It's great that Tattered Cover is there, but it's still really a franchise run by someone else. They don't have control over the entire stock there. It's great that some of the local restaurants are going in. Let's get more of those rather than an every, an only six day a week chicken franchise. <laughs> Let's get a quick take on this last one. The signatures for the recall of three Jeffco school board members were ratified this week and multiple candidates have already announced intentions of running for the seats. Meanwhile, TV ads begun to hit, uh, begun to hit airwaves in support of Julie Williams, one of the three recall targets. Eric, what's your quick take? Much to say, but I'll try to keep it quick. I think what we have to figure out in this election is whether voters out there, and there are a lot of upset voters, these signatures got signed pretty quickly. And I don't know if it's retrievable or not, but the question is whether the concern in the opposition is because of all the noise and all the unpleasantness that has been out there. Or is it really on the substance of what this new board majority is trying to do and take the district? I happen to think it is as much about the noise as it is about the substance. Clearly there's a lot of opposition on the policy level, but I'm not sure that's a majority sentiment. I think for a whole lot of voters, they're just tired of all the upheaval. And even if these uh, three members are recalled, it's not an end to the noise and upheaval. Recalls, you know, what's good for the goose, as we've seen in Colorado, can now be good for the gander, and the noise is not going to go away. Ben, usually off-year elections are not very busy. Um, sounds like we have a busy one this year. What do you think? Well, I think this is probably the most interesting one there is. I mean, it, Eric alluded to how quickly they were able to gather signatures, really essentially 34,000 in each district uh, in about two weeks with almost uh, zero rejections. So a very high rate of collection with, with no problem. Um, I think it shows a tremendous amount of energy for some turnover on the board. I think that there is a problem with both the substance and the noise that's going on out there. My sense of it is that parents are tired of the grandstanding, they're tired of some of the abusive behavior that's gone on from the board, and they want to see a return to civility and a return to sort of a grown-up environment on that board. And I think that the uh, recall folks and the other folks running for the open seats will be wise to stick with that message and promise an adult board uh, to handle, you know, really critical issues with, you know, education and, and what our kids are going to be doing with themselves. Patty, is Jeffco headed for a raucous uh, October? Yes, Jeffco is, and maybe what they should do is combine with Denver's public consumption bill and allow public consumption at Jeffco board meetings, because I think then people would <laughs> chill a little more, feelings would get a little better. <laughs> They've actually made some progress in Jeffco. They've got a, um, a teacher's contract Same out contract, there yep. that they're working on. They're, they've made more progress in some areas, but it is not a civil discussion going on in Jeffco. So I think it's great that we're going to have the conversation, and let's hope after whatever happens in November, they're able to be productive and civil to each other. David, wrap it up for us. I should, the Independence Institute is involved in criticizing and, and, and opposing uh, the recall, so I'm not an unbiased observer. One of the accidental benefits of the recall campaign is it averted a teacher strike uh, that would be starting right about now because the, the recall advocates, I think, probably correctly realized that a, a teacher strike going along with the, the recall campaign would, would not work well. 
I would have signed that petition too if that's all I knew, the information on the petition. Uh, we will be trying to get out the, the word that a lot of, in our view, what was the claims made in those recall petitions are false. Let's get to it. Our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, start us off. Last week I said some nice things about them all. I still like them all in the daytime. I do not like the fact that there was a 14-minute delay in the police coming to complaint calls about a fight that had broken out with two diners from California and a bunch of mall rats. And we, Denver deserves the answers, and people who like to go to the mall deserve the answers. Here, here. David. The Associated Press deserves credit for breaking the news of this side agreement between Iran and the International Atomic Energy Agency, which is, in the Iran deal, the inspections of the Iranian nuclear weapons production facilities, to make sure they're not really making weapons, will be done by the Iranian government. Uh, you know, are you going to turn over to, to Patty? Uh, the enforcement of the rules against nobody can uh, have, drink beer uh, at home if you work for Westward. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's no agreement at all. It is just a path to a nuclear bomb, and good for the AP for exposing it. Eric. I would turn over to Patty to be part of the inspections regime in Iran, but that's a, that's a whole different conversation. Uh, I was going to go with Patty on this one in terms of the response time on the mall. That's uh, just completely intolerable. Let me add to that, the Colorado Benefits Management System, we've now had the second mess within this calendar year of, of, of personal data, health data, and personal information being compromised just through messes sending uh, wrong, wrong mailings to the wrong database. So many millions of dollars, tens and tens of millions of dollars spent on this system, and they still can't get it right. Ben. You know, I was saddened to see that uh, Pizza Fusion closed on Colfax, a, a store set up to help uh, um, uh, homeless people and transitioning people find employment and find stable uh, stability in their lives. And, you know, it's just sad that it's closing, and I think a reminder of, of how serious the homeless issue is in the city and how much work there is to be done. Uh, say something nice rather quickly. Uh, kudos to the Denver Botanic Gardens. When other arts institutions are having trouble, Denver Botanic Gardens, record, record days because of the corpse flower. What they need to do at History Colorado is maybe have a corpse rise from one of those exhibits. <laughs> David. Lincoln Chafee, Bernie Sanders, Jim Webb, Martin O'Malley. Democrats have alternatives of people, to, to Hillary Clinton, of people who are honorable, who actually have sincere beliefs on policy issues and are not crooks and cronies. Eric. Elitch Gardens, the theater at the old Elitch Gardens up on 38th is reopening. I mean, I'm showing my age, but I remember going to plays there, seeing Jessica Tandy and Hume Cronin a zillion years ago. I did not know that that was in the cards, but uh, I think that would be a fun addition to the to cultural landscape around here. You here, Ben? You know, Jimmy Carter announced that uh, cancer had spread to his brain, and I'm not quite old enough to remember his presidency, but I've been able to watch him as in his post-presidency days, and I think he's set an incredible example for what kind of impact um, someone can have after office and the kind of grace and dignity that he's lived with. And also, um, what a truth-sayer he's become uh, with his commentary on the American politics. So, um, you know. Nice about him. 
<laughs> it's uh, no harder work on a Habitat for Humanity work site, I can tell you that, here in Denver. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. We have a very special opportunity for all you Denver Bronco fans out there. We have three great tickets, the next preseason game versus the San Francisco 49ers, next Saturday, August 29th, at Mile High. You can win them by going to Colorado Public Television's Facebook page and correctly answering this question. What year did Colorado Inside Out first hit the airwaves. Be sure to like the page when you answer, so if you're the winner, we can contact you with those tickets. Remember that you can watch, you can catch any part of the show or CIO postgame online, and be sure to check out the CIO podcast on iTunes. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.